with the few moments I have, I'm going to get into the Word of God, into part three of what I thought was a one-part sermon, but it wasn't. Amen. So uh, let, let me start with, with a, a real brief story because I had another weird dream. I had a weird dream last night, and in this dream, uh, there were all of these people from like every part of my life. There were people from my childhood, people from college, people from different churches I've been a part of, people from different places I was employed at, and, and we were going to this big party. I don't know what anyone had in common except I knew all of these people, and we were going to this party. You know how weird dreams are. And at this party, the thing that I was just so excited about was that there was going to be a basketball game. But it was a Nerf basketball game. But I wanted to show off, because I'm really, really good at Nerf basketball. I can dunk. So I really, I was so excited about this basketball game and, and could not wait for it. And, and so they're picking up teams for the basketball game, and I wasn't picked on a team. We're going to have a moment of mourning and grief now. I was so angry. I was so hurt. And then I remember waking up saying, what the heck is wrong with you, Larry? What is going on here? But, but, but what I realized is this. And this is what I want to talk about as we get into spiritual warfare and understanding the enemy schemes. When we make ourselves the center of things, we are wide open for the work of the enemy. If you think that you are the center of the story that God is telling in this world, then you are wide open for the enemy's work. But I'm going to tell you today, like we heard from Marissa, Jesus Christ is always the center of the story, and we come to give him glory, not ourselves. Amen. So let's get into the message today. I want us to stand together and we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Nehemiah 6, 5 through 9. Let's read that nice and loud, nice and hearty as we read God's word. Then, the fifth time, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah." Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Amen. Let me pray. Father, as we hear from your word, we pray that you will strengthen us 
to be a people who will understand the enemy's schemes better and therefore live our lives in such a way that the glory of God is maximized. Have your way, glorify your name, do your work. In this time we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Winning in spiritual warfare, and we're looking at knowing the enemy's schemes. We talked last week, we started talking about these schemes of the enemy. We talked about the first two already. Number one scheme was deception. That is the idea. And every scheme of the enemy has deception at its root. It's a part of it. And that is that the enemy is a liar, and the Bible says, and the father of lies. He would want you to believe that all you are is just a sinner saved by grace. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, although you are a sinner, although you were saved by grace, you can get rid of that just. You can say, I am now a child of the living God. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and I can walk in the power of that conviction. Then we looked at the idea of persistence, that the enemy comes and comes and comes again. We saw in Nehemiah, he came four times. We just read in verse five that he came a fifth time. The enemy keeps on coming. And we saw that with Jesus, his temptation in the wilderness, that when he was tempted, the enemy came over and over again. And even when he left Jesus in Luke's gospel, it says he left him for an opportune time. In other words, I'm leaving you now, but I'm looking for a weak moment. And that's the way the enemy works in all of our lives. So when we have a victory, we got to be careful. We'll talk about this later, that he's going to come at the weakest time, at that moment that you're not ready. He is persistent. And then we're moving into the last five of these things. If I can do this in 20 minutes, it will be a work of the Holy Spirit. But I want to start with the idea of slander and gossip. We just read these verses. You can move to the next slide. We read these verses, slander and gossip. So what we just read, what we see is that there was a report going out from Sanballat about Nehemiah as he's building the wall. And, and the false report was, that what Nehemiah is trying to do is Nehemiah is building this wall so he can set himself up as the king. Nehemiah, although he was sent by the king, he is now going to set up his own kingship. He's going to revolt against the king, and he's going to make himself the king instead. That was a slanderous lie that was shared about Nehemiah. It wasn't true. And I love Nehemiah's response to it in verse 8. If you'll move to the next slide. In verse 8, Nehemiah says, Nothing like what you are saying is happening. And I love this. You're just making it up out of your own head. I love that. You're just lying. You're making this up out of your own head. That is not what is happening at all. And so his name is being slandered. His motives are being lied about. His actions are being looked at in a way that isn't true. All of these things are happening to Nehemiah. And this is a common scheme of the enemy. He comes as a deceiver. He comes as an accuser. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. 
The very name Satan itself is a name that means that he is a slanderer. He is an accuser. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's interesting. You never see the proper name Satan just by itself, but it always has the word the in front of it, the Satan. Every time it's used in the Old Testament, what is that saying? The adversary came to God for Job. The adversary stood before God in Zechariah chapter 3 and accused the high priest. The adversary will come and slander you and me as well. So this is one of the common ways that the enemy comes. He comes through slander and through gossip. Church, we've got to be careful that we are not a slanderous and gossipful people. I don't know if gossipful is a word, but it is now. We've got to be careful about, about that. Now, what is that? What do I mean by that? Slander and gossip, let me see if there's a way I can describe it. Um, if, if I, as a church leader, was accused of some improper act by, by someone, some, somebody saw something, they heard something, and, and I was accused of that, to go to the proper authorities and to report that and to deal with that, that is not slander and gossip. That is what you should do as a member of the church. You should let the people know that this has happened, that you have seen this, and, and this has been done. Now, what would be slanderous and gossipful is if you heard about what might have happened, what I might have done, and then you go to a prayer meeting, amen, and you're praying for my pastor who, who is doing this, that, and the other thing as if now it's a fact. Please don't do that to your pastor. Please don't do that to your elders or leaders. But so you see the difference there? If, 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 if we're telling the truth about what happened and this is something that we know and we're trying to deal with it in the right way, that's not slander and gossip. That's what we should do. But when we're spreading rumors about what may have happened, then that becomes slanderous and gossipful. Now, how do we deal with slander and gossip when it is about us? How do we deal with that? I want to suggest three things. First of all, be tethered to the truth. Be tethered to the truth. You care so much about what God says that what people say matters less and less until it doesn't matter at all. Because if you are serving the Lord with a full heart, there will be times when you will be talked about. Your name might be run through the mud at some point, but if you know the truth and you know the truth of who you are in God and what God says about you, then you can work through that gossip. Number two, forgive and walk in wisdom. We need to be people, as our sister said, that testimony of forgiveness is an overwhelming one, but we need to be a people who are quick to forgive. One of the things I realized, even in situations that I've struggled with in relationships that have been bruised and battered, uh, much of the time I was working to do the wrong thing in the relationship. Now, I always, in every broken relationship, I would love to see there be reconciliation in those relationships. But you know it takes two parties to reconcile, amen? And I realized that there have been times when I've been putting all my effort 
into reconciliation when the other party was not interested in that at all and I lived a frustrated life. God did not call me to make someone else reconcile. He did call me to forgive regardless of the offense. And the third thing is I love uh, Nehemiah's prayer at the end of verse 9. He says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hand. Nehemiah says, I've got a job to do. I've got something to do. All this gossip, all this talk, all this slander. Lord, strengthen my hands to be about what you have given me to do. Don't let me be dissuaded. Don't let me be put off by something else. Slander and gossip. The next one we want to look at, number four of the seven common schemes, is infiltration through false teaching. Nehemiah 6 and verses 10 through 14 let me read those verses. It says, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut up in, who was shut in, in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you by night, and they are coming to kill you. Verse 11 says, But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had, that, that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Again, what's happening here is another false report is going out, and this man who is a priest, is trying to get Nehemiah to flee into the temple of God, which, the, which in the Old Testament law, he explicitly could not do. Nehemiah was not a priest. And what he was trying to do is to instill a fear in him so that he would, dis, so that he would disobey God, so that he would be in sin, and that he would, in verse 13 it says, they would give me a bad name and discredit me. The idea here was to discredit Nehemiah through infiltration and false teaching. Listen, one of the things that has plagued the church of Jesus Christ in America and has made it as weak as it often is, is that we have soaked in false teaching that doesn't line up with the scriptures. Amen? When, when we move according to teaching that is not in line with the scripture, we become a weakened witness to the Lord Jesus Christ at best. And so we need to resist this idea of infiltration through false teaching. How can we do that? Number one, you can do that by being very careful who you listen to and allow to influence you. Be very careful about that. Not only what preachers you listen to, but how, how you deal with entertainment, how you deal with media, social media, and other media, what you listen to. Because the reality is that even in entertainment, entertainment is not just about telling you a story, making you laugh, and getting you involved in something. It is always also edutainment amen 
It's trying to teach you something and trying to give you some values or ideas that you can run with in life. Be careful who you listen to. Number two, always look for clues for the motives of those who teach or influence you. What is behind this? Now, sometimes you got to be careful because you just don't know motives. But some people, it's easy. You can see the motives right on the surface. I want your money. I want your stuff. You can see the motives. It's right out there. And so we need to be careful about motives. And then thirdly and always, discern the truth by checking it with the word of God. Know this word. Come to know God intimately. Know his word so that you won't be fooled by those who come with false teaching. The next piece I want to look at is intimidation and fear. Verse 13, the scripture says, he had been hired to intimidate me. He had been hired to intimidate me. I want to go down to the end of verse 14. He says, remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. And then at the very end of verse 19, here it says, and Tobiah sent letters to do what? To intimidate me. You see this over and over and over again, and this is a common scheme of the enemy, intimidation and fear. To cause a people to live in intimidation and in fear. This is what terrorism is ultimately designed to do, to cause a people to live in intimidation and fear, to, to fear for their lives, to fear for uh, their livelihood, to fear that they may, may be restricted, they may be imprisoned, they may be killed, they may be all kinds of things. The idea of intimidation and fear, terrorism, is to have a people live in intimidation and fear. I love the story that we just heard again from Marissa, a young woman saying, I will not live in intimidation and fear. I'll talk about how that can happen for all of us in just a moment. But we see that in instances like El Paso that are aimed specifically at a people group. It's not just the people that are killed and gunned down there, but the effect is to, to, to make a whole group of people, not just in El Paso, but all over our country, fearful and intimidated of what could happen to me as well. This is the idea. Um, James Cone wrote a book years ago called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And in this book, he talks about the effect of the lynchings that happen in the United States under Jim Crow. And we think of these as something where a mob comes together and lynched an African-American person. It's a terrible crime and a terrible tragedy. But Cone says it was a lot more than just that. Many times before the lynching would happen, there would be reports in newspapers and on radio that it was about to happen. And many times there would be crowds of thousands of people that would come together to see this heinous act 
of racism, of hate, of death, and of terror. And then the broken and bruised and dead body would be left hanging for sometimes a long time in order to warn everybody else, don't you dare cross this line. Terrorism, hatred, intimidation, and fear. Howard Thurman, who was a great American scholar and theologian, and he was uh, one of the mentors to Dr. Martin Luther King, said, in the absence of hope, ambition dies. In the absence of hope, ambition dies. I want to say these words for you. A life lived in fear, which is very often the reality for marginalized people. Now, the reality is you don't have to be in a marginalized group to live your life in fear. Amen? I know for many years, especially as a young man, I had a whole lot of fears that I had to work through and live through. And by no means would I have been called uh, being in a marginalized group. I wasn't, but I still was intimidated by fears. But a life lived in fear strips the soul of hope. It stifles creativity and ambition and guts individuals and people groups of their ability to flourish in meaningful ways. This is the intended effect of fear, of intimidation, of terrorism, great and small, bullying on a small scale, terrorism on a large scale. And brothers and sisters, let me say this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is so important for us. It's in the gospel, the greatest act of cosmic terrorism that ever happened in the history of the universe happens to Jesus Christ. The most hopeless and unimaginable situation where you have a marginalized minority person being railroaded into a kangaroo court. He's cursed, he's lied on, he's unjustly convicted, he is beaten, he is brutalized, and he's put to death in the most gruesome, shocking, and horrifying way that had ever been devised. And it is this very act of the ultimate injustice which overcomes evil, which overcomes death, which overcomes hell, which overcomes Satan because he did not stay in that grave. He got up on the third day and what he says, and if we get that lesson, we can do what that young lady did. We can do what that young man did in Nigeria. We can stand up and understand, I am a child of God. Do to me what you will. I'm in the hands of God. We don't live in intimidation and fear, and we need not live that way as believers in Christ. Let me move on. Number six, attacking immediately after victory. I'm not going to read through all of this for the sake of time, but what happens is they complete the wall. Nehemiah completes the wall in 52 days. It's an amazing act, an amazing work. With all this opposition, they do the work, they complete the wall, but what happens in In my Bible, there is a title over verse 16. It says, opposition to the completed wall. 
He's not only opposed when they're working on the wall, but once it's done, the opposition continues and they keep trying to intimidate. Listen, here's one of the things I want to say to you. When you have had your greatest moment, when you have had a great success, when you have had a wonderful time of just seeing God move, seeing a dream come to pass, beware of the enemy coming immediately after that time of victory. Be aware of that. That is a scheme of the enemy. Consider Elijah for a moment on that hill on Mount Carmel and calling down fire from God, 850 false prophets, and he stands there in, 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 in confidence. He stands there and calls on God. He mocks the false prophets, and he sees God move in a powerful way. What a great and mighty man of God Elijah is. You see him a little while later running for his life from one woman, Jezebel, saying, God, take my life, kill me now. I don't want to live anymore. Jezebel's after me. That must have been one bad woman, I tell you. But we need to be careful of that. Listen, be careful because your mountaintop experience can actually be a setup for a dangerous fall in your life. Brothers and sisters, let me say it this way. We were not created to absorb glory. When we absorb glory ourselves, it becomes a poisonous toxin in our souls. We were not made to absorb glory. We were made to reflect it. We reflect the glory of God and point to Jesus. One of my favorite books, and I think every person in vocational ministry should read this book. It's by Paul Tripp. It's called Dangerous Calling talks about the pitfalls of being in ministry, the things that will knock you down, that will take you out, the schemes of the enemy that over and over and over again have taken out men and women of God who have set their lives to honor God, to serve God, and yet they get knocked down and taken off course by these schemes. That book, on the back of the book, it's just written about five or six years ago. On the back of that book, you have testimonials from five different well-known Christian leaders. If you look at those testimonials, three of those men now are not in ministry. They've been disqualified by the very sins and schemes that that book talks about. Be careful. It's success is much more the difficult test. The greatest test is not when you're defeated and struggling. Your greatest test of your integrity before God is your success. How will you handle that? Will you point all that glory back to God? Last scheme of the enemy that we'll look at, the final one, infiltration through compromise. Again, those verses, Nehemiah 6, 15 through 19 I'm not going to go into the verses for the sake of time once again. But infiltration through compromise. You see in those verses uh, that in verse 18 in particular, it says, For many in Judah were under oath to him. Speaking of Tobiah. So even after the wall is completed, Nehemiah has to deal 
with the reality that many of the subjects of the kingdom are sold out to his enemy. They have compromised themselves to the enemy. And brothers and sisters, we've got to be aware of compromise in our own life. Now, the compromise I'm talking about is compromising what we know to be true, what we know to be right, and allowing anything or anyone to bring us into that point of compromise. Brothers and sisters, we have to take sin in our own lives seriously. And we need to ask God to help us to walk with him. Compromise will destroy our intimacy with God. These are just a few of the schemes of the enemy. Seven that I've laid out from Nehemiah chapter 6. But this is critical stuff for us as believers. The quality of your life, the quality of your legacy depends on your ability to properly respond to the enemy's schemes. Knowing his schemes demands three things that we all need to grow in. Number one, a depth of understanding and applying the gospel to your life. We've got to be people who understand the impact of the gospel that allows me to stand up against these schemes. Number two, we talked about this with small groups and community, deep covenantal relationships with other believers. Many times we think we have deep relationships because we can talk to someone for hours, especially men, about the Eagles, about the Phillies, about the Sixers, about the weather, maybe about politics, but we're not having deep covenantal uh, 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 relationships until we're dealing with the things of our souls. So God calls us into those types of relationships. And number three, your ability to accurately diagnose your own heart. Brothers and sisters, we need to understand that the enemy will do everything he can to knock you out. And if he can't knock you out, he wants to make you totally ineffective in your witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. Let me close with an illustration from an unlikely hero. She was a woman... African-American, she was born into slavery in 1822 or so. The records aren't great. She escaped from slavery in 1849. Her name is Harriet Tubman. Many of you know at least bits and parts of her story. She was a, a small little woman named Harriet, just like mine right here. But Harriet Tubman escaped and found her freedom in 1849, but she made 13 more trips back into slave territory at the, 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 the cost potentially of her own life, but continued to get more and more slaves back into freedom. This woman, at an early age, had been hit in the head by a two-pound weight that was thrown by one of the slaveholders and she lived her whole life uh, with this brain injury. She would have 
seizures at different times. She never learned to read or write, and yet she knew the Bible inside out from the stories that she heard over and over again. She was called uh, Moses by so many people because of the way she went back in and brought people out. She was also used, even in the Civil War, by the, by the Union Army. Harriet Tubman was the, only, was the first woman to actually lead a group, and they went into a place and freed 750 slaves, and she led that. She was a scout for the Union Army because she knew how to go into the swamplands and different lands and how to avoid the enemy contact from all that she had done in uh, getting slaves out and, and freeing slaves as well. This is a woman who understood that the enemy was everywhere around and about her, but she out-schemed the schemer over and over and over again. And brothers and sisters, that's what God calls us to. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. The enemy does not have the final say God does. Know who you are in Jesus Christ. Know who you are and know what God has called you to. And by God's grace, we become a people who do not fall for the schemes of the enemy. Amen? Let me pray. Father God, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord God, that you are at work uh, in and among your people. Lord God, we pray that all of the schemes of the enemy that we see in our own lives, in our community, in our country, and in this world, Lord God, that one day every scheme is going to come down. Every false thing that the enemy is trying to propagate is going to come to an end. And Jesus Christ will be glorified by everyone. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, have your way. Glorify your name, we pray, in all of these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.